Welcome to Everyday Driver, where cars are more than just transportation. They're freedom, a common ground, a way to grow, and can even make life better. We're here to help everyone find a car they love and discover all the ways cars connect us. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is The Car Debate. What day is it? Oh, that's right. It's Tuesday. <laughs> we're, we're a little disjointed right now because we're in the middle of shooting the end of season nine. And I know what many of you are thinking. Doesn't season nine come out soon? <laughs> it comes yes. out in like a week and a half. And we're just now shooting episode six. But we, we finally got the episode we wanted for episode six. We're very excited about it. And we do have six new episodes coming to the Motor Trend cable channel. Not the Motor Trend app. Yes, starting the first yes. weekend of July, and then those will go out to Amazon and to YouTube, and they'll be everywhere. We're very excited about it. Six very different episodes, very different weather. We go from like a full winter episode to the height of summer in one season, in six weeks. There's a lot coming. Yeah, I've been thinking about that because it's hard to do – you know, shoot maybe Q2 and Q4 because then we'd kind of run into the same problem as yeah. far as there'd be a weather episode and you'd watch it in the middle of summer by the time we finish, shoot it, mm-hmm. and then get it out onto TV. But you know what? I think it just doesn't matter at this point. It's, it's about the cars. Oh, yeah, yeah. In their context. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, this one feels like it's been a hard fight to get across the finish line for this one. We are in the midst of it right now. We're mm-hmm. very happy about it and thankful about it. But uh, man, it's just always a fight lining up the cars. And it's what we've chosen to do. It's hard, yeah, for but sure. that's yeah. really what informs our commentary. Welcome back, guys, to the podcast. A quick note from our writers. Our writer, Eric, mm-hmm. just recently attended the brand new Mercedes S-Class launch yeah. in California and has written about it. And he has done some amazing stuff on there. So he's written all about his experience. And of course, you know, tasted the, the Mercedes love. Yes. The, you know, they, they treat journalists very they, well. They throw an event, don't they? Yeah. Put everybody mm-hmm. in a car. And so he's just written about that. Got a great topic Tuesday here for you and a cool car debate and mm-hmm. many questions. So many questions. You guys really showed up with questions today. It's amazing. Thank you, guys. Hey guys, it's summertime again, and when the weather gets hot, it's time for custom sunscreens and dash covers from our friends at Covercraft. UVS 100 custom sunscreens are made to exactly fit inside your windshield for maximum protection from the sun. They're durable and sturdy for years of dependable use. There's a wide variety of colors and styles available, including original, premier series, and Carhartt. They also have dash mat custom dash covers. They're custom fitted to your dash for complete protection from the sun. These reduce road glare when driving and complement your interior with a large selection of colors and styles, including the original carpet dash mat, the suede mat, the velour mat, and the extremely popular limited edition. Whatever sunscreen, dash cover, or car cover you choose, remember to use the code EVERYDAY21 at checkout to receive a 10% discount and free shipping from Covercraft.com specifically for our audience. Follow the link from our sponsors page or go directly to Covercraft.com for high-quality products that keep your vehicles protected and looking their best. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. Michael R. comes to us with a topic Tuesday entitled, Did I Just Cure the Car Bug? (laughs) Michael, newsflash, no. No, you didn't. (laughs) I don't think so, but but it got me intrigued. It, it It is a great discussion here, though, for sure. He's listened to a lot of episodes of the podcast. He still doesn't understand the categories like car debates or Topic Tuesdays, but he thinks this counts. Back in 2019, Mm -hmm. the C8 was revealed and his mind was blown. Cool. It's very cool. It is. Stunningly gorgeous for a reasonable price. And as Todd just pointed out, because of Chevy's start-stop, start-stop kind of Uh approach to building these things and getting them on the market. All the issues they've had. We've talked about them since we shot American Original 
at the end of 2018 yeah, talked yeah. about it coming and they're still rare here we are yes, in 2021 right. when this podcast is being recorded absolutely it's which crazy it's crazy to think about but yes he says stunningly gorgeous reasonable price that's what corvettes are all about he says at that time he was driving a 2006 Tacoma with 115,000 miles that his dad handed down to him back in 2010 okay it was becoming time to replace it and he started listening to the podcast last year, he says, after watching episodes of the TV show on Amazon Prime as part Very of his cool. due diligence, just to make sure he wasn't overlooking something else. <laughs> All right. Okay. After doing a deep dive into some potential cars, he, couldn't, he still couldn't find anything as alluring as the C8. Mm. We're talking Caymans. F-types, Alfa Romeo 4Cs, all those are runner-up status. He really liked that C8 yeah, when he saw he it, yeah. Which is great. And he got lucky with the ordering process in October of 2020, got his for MSRP at the end of wow. January 2021. Fantastic. He kept the Tacoma for sentimental factors and general utility of actually being able to carry things. So we He said, I'm a truck guy. I can't get rid of my truck. It's really I understand. Even yeah, though you have sure. to agree, the C8 is excellent for carrying stuff. It he is, He did a great sure. job. Yeah. Golf bags, especially. I mean, sorry. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Would have been better without it. Moving yes, on. yes. Well, he saw the new Ford Maverick. Mm-hmm. Last week, he says, it seems like the perfect complement to his Corvette because of the carrying things, having sports mm-hmm. car utility. Mm-hmm. The plan is to now trade in the Tacoma very soon. He currently really doesn't need it. But he says the sentimental aspects are real, as it was his first and only other vehicle. Mm-hmm. It's even his dad's favorite vehicle he's ever had, and he's only owned it four years. So our general advice on moving from vehicles and not letting them own you Mm. has helped him, although driving the Corvette has also helped. (laughs) If all goes well with selling the Tacoma, he'll be able to buy the Maverick in the near future, but he says he'll be barely spending any money to get a new truck that has all the capability he needs, which is what we keep hammering the Honda Ridgeline about. Now Ford's sort of like, yeah, that's that's actually really anybody needs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He only needs. He says at that point, he'd be 27 with his realistic dream garage. So that's amazing. It is crazy. Good for you. Michael discovers that he's kind of a hidden car guy. He's Mm -hmm. only ever had this hand-me-down truck. He is able. It's a process. It's a journey. It absolutely is. You you make a discovery. I really like cars. I mean, granted, with somebody like my son, who thank you for all of you that responded on that, you see that it started early with him. But some Mm -hmm. people, myself included, it started late. I was a car person like crazy in my teens. Mm -hmm. And then it went dormant because I had terrible cars and no access to cars. And then I bought that 300ZX. Like 15, 20 years after I had kind of forgotten cars were cool. And suddenly cars were very cool. So here, Michael's discovered cars. He's discovered the C8. You're able to have a C8 for MSR. I think that's insane. Good for you. Fantastic. Quick, sell it. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, just make kidding. But you have the possibility of every car you can imagine needing to have and the perfect versions of those cars in the C8 and the Maverick could be in your garage this year. And then you just say, I think I'm done. <laughs> this is your question because you said yeah. you're not a guy that wants to track your C8, you tell us. You think that the, the Maverick will be modern enough to, to, to take away the problems you have with the Tacoma, which you've loved and has history, but the problems that you had there are replaced by the Maverick that is updated. Mm-hmm. You have your car to haul things that is a modern, unibody, good-riding thing that's kind of trucky, and then you have your C8 Corvette that you don't want to track, <laughs> and you just go, I don't feel like at that point I need any other experiences or have any other reason to buy a different vehicle? Is, there, is everybody here as astonished by this as I am? So his question is, have I cured the car bug before I'm 30? Oh, my gosh. Well, he says, 
he barely needs to drive anywhere. Mm -hmm. He's also a safety conscious person. And on the podcast a few weeks ago, we discussed teenagers not wanting to drive because of safety. It, I guess it was because of safety. It was just more of the fear of operating a vehicle. I yeah. mean, yes, yeah, yeah, safety is sure. you know, all intertwined there. But he says he's not to that extreme. But when he started learning to drive, he took it very seriously and took the process very slowly. Mm-hmm. The idea of tracking his car, which he says, I can tell it yearns to be tracked, is intimidating. Mm-hmm. He'd be fine with slowly getting a, a little bit more towards the limits of the seat on the track by himself, but he really doesn't like the idea of knuckleheads around him. I mean, who does? <laughs> if you do a okay. like man-on-the-street kind of interview, hey, excuse me. How are you with knuckleheads? What's your feeling on knuckleheads? <laughs> We're doing an impartial poll. So we might be thinking, he's, he writes, why did this guy spend over $70,000 on a vehicle? He has a mechanical engineering degree. He's not wrenching on his car, but he loves the math and science and engineering involved in a car. You're not kidding me. Mm -hmm. And don't forget the art. He's also a fan of lots of kinds of art, he says here. Cars are really the perfect intersection of the two. Hallelujah. You're preaching to the choir. Yes, for sure. He's also really into simulation racing games and a new Formula One fan. That's awesome. So when he saw the C8 two years ago, he knew he just had to have it. I want you to remember that sentence. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Continuing on, he says he's been enjoying the C8 by taking it for drive, simply for the sake of driving. That's good. Fantastic. He never dreamed of that when he owned the Tacoma. Many people don't dream of that. It doesn't occur to them. That's what we preach over here. Mm -hmm. But he's already done the fun roads nearby many times. He's near Washington, D.C. Not too many options, he says, that are super close. But then what do you do after you get the experiences that you want? He says, I still enjoy cars, but there's nothing really additional that I want from them. And he says, well, I probably just you know, need to go track the C8. But he's not sure where this leaves him. I want to go back to Harley hmm. Earl. Oh, interesting. Okay. Michael, I want to go back to the beginning of cars as a fashion object, which spawned the color and trim department at General Motors in the late 20s, led by a guy named Harley Earl, who came up with the concept that we could sell more cars if we changed the styling every two, three, four, ten, however many years, Mm -hmm. updated, made it kind of reflect the times, the music, the culture, fashion, and made them desirable objects. You've mentioned here they are desirable objects Mm -hmm. now because of what they do, and you did acknowledge the art part of it. But Harley Earl took that so much further Mm. and went to styling. And therefore it's a gray area when you ask a car designer, well, are you just a stylist? Are you just wrapping it in something sexy Mm. or are you designing the function, the features it's got to look good? Where are you? And many people Mm. just regard car designers as just the pink belts. They've just got the art degree and you hear some markers and you go draw pretty pictures and you're just off in the corner (laughs) when that actually isn't the case. Sure. Yeah. But Harley Earl came up with cars and that's why we got to the tail fin era. It went that direction. The first Corvette, he was influenced Mm -hmm. in that very first Corvette. He was influenced by all the GIs bringing these hot, cool European sports cars back Mm -hmm. to the States going, well, that's a cool style. And that's the smallest thing I've ever seen out of a sports car. And yeah, We've got huge American iron here in the, in the U.S. And everything in the U.S. had to have rocket themes because it was right. the 50s. We're going to space. Exactly. And that was the thing at the mm-hmm. times. Yeah. And so he identified that theme, that passion, that fever in mm-hmm. everybody at the time and kind of capitalized on it yeah, and made sure. an object 
desirable. And now he took it further because you want to be seen in that car. You cannot tell me mm. that you don't buy a car for the even the tiniest amount that you don't want to be seen in it. Mm. There's a part of that when it comes to choosing what car you drive. People are going to see you. And is this yeah, the car you're sure. going to be seen in? Sure. Good point. Yeah. And it's got to be safe and useful and gas mileage and blah, blah, blah. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but I maintain there's more to this. I just, I want people to know this is what I have. This is what I spend my money on. This mm-hmm. is how much money I can spend. Sure. And here sure. at Everyday Driver, we say spend less and get a car. People think you paid more. Sure. Yes, not to definitely. fool people or be disingenuous, but to get something really cool because we love being seen on our cars. Now they have to drive well. We like yeah. the function. We like safety. Yeah build quality, all that stuff. But you said, did I cure the car bug by now having two things? One is a desirable object that you may or may not push further and track. And you might not, Mm -hmm. you've done some drives in it, but it's just kind of sitting there. Can you imagine owning these two cars for the rest of your life? You're 27. Mm. If you have cured the car bug, then you have to say yes to that question. Roughly 50 years. It roughly, it could be longer than that. It could be. And cars, there's every chance and every reason you could theoretically keep a car running forever. If you want to keep putting money into it. Now, it depends on the car. You'll say, sure, Mm -hmm. you know, parts for that got stopped making years ago. But we do have things like the SEMA show where you could start at one end Mm -hmm. and finish the other with a a full car. A brand new old Mustang. <laughs> it's, that's, that's, usually it's a confusing Mustang. sentence, but there you go. Yeah. I know that's not true for every car and there's some unique weird things that you're chasing parts to the rest of time. Like Saab <clears throat> <laughs> always goes back to Saab jokes. It really does. Yeah. But now can you imagine hanging onto those cars and theoretically saying, I'll just keep putting money into them, keep changing what breaks it needs a new engine block. Something happened. I keep putting money into them to keep them running, and they keep doing that kind of thing. Why does the car industry need to exist? Mm, interesting. When Harley Earl kind of started this thing, now everybody's doing it to come out with the latest model. And why do people go to car shows? Mm. If you've cured the car bug, nobody's going to go to car shows to look at the latest anything, to either love it or hate it. Doesn't matter. Yeah. But people are going. People want to go to car meets. And here we are at this weird point in time where we're going backwards now to remanufacture old cars. It's been done for a little while, but now it's a thing. Mm. The Gunta works, the singers, make them better than they ever were, electrify the old stuff to keep Mm -hmm. cars around. So why do we need new models? Yeah. Why? There's, There's so much just churn going on in the industry right now of various weird things popping up. You have the, the rise of the bring a trailer world where everything is, why is it that expensive? You have uh, chip shortages right now that are making cars expensive and going up in value anyway, because it's hard to get cars. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, used cars are getting pulled up in that random used cars. And then you're right. We're remaking old used cars while we talk about the cars. We don't have to drive because they're coming next week, supposedly. And that parts is, for those are scarce because they're a, brand new. That is a lot of weird variables going on at once. I mean, Michael, I hear what you're saying. You think you might have bought the two cars that just check every box for you and you're done. <laughs> I think this connects back to your car driving experience not your car experience your okay car driving experience. okay all right i love that you have this c8 i think it's amazing that you just swung for the fences and bought one you got one at msrp and you are in love with it and i think that's wonderful and maybe let's just say for sake of argument that car never leaves mm-hmm. your life maybe it doesn't I, I think i think you'll grow into something else i think you'll want something else but 
What I think you need to do is I think you need to actually do two things. You need to autocross that C8, not track it, autocross it. I like this. That's is you in a wide open parking lot, and the only thing you can hit is cones. You're in autocross one person at a time. It's just you. Mm-hmm. That's going to show you capability in that C8, and you're going to realize for the first time, I feel like you're going to you're going to realize for the first time, this car is way beyond anything I will ever ask of it. Mm. But you're going mm-hmm. to glimpse it at low speed at autocross, mm-hmm. which is far less scary than a full track day. Now that might, I, no guarantees, but that might make you after a while want to get on track. But what I'm excited for you is in the autocross scenario, take out the variable of other people on track, take out the variable of being able to hit anything. It's a, it's a rubber cone. Mm-hmm. It yeah. doesn't matter, man. Sure. The way they sure. put these things on, it doesn't matter. There's nothing that can go wrong, really. So do that, and I think you'll glimpse. I had no idea this car that I already respected and wanted and loved and can't believe I own can do this. The other thing you need to do is, my friend, plan some road trips. Yes. Not even huge yes. road trips. Just yeah. look on your map. You say you've kind of done the roads in your area. Okay. Pick some roads. What's the road to state over that you've heard about? Sure. What's what's that place you've always wanted to visit? Forget cars for a second. Just a place you've said, I should go blank sometime. Now plan a route that's not freeways. Yeah, right. Just back roads through random little towns and, <laughs> and fun he's little in DC, curves. So and, yeah. really go west, young man. It's sure, really absolutely. The, the thing but here, right? You need to do a few road trips. And what I think will happen is you will get to know this car at a level that you can't fathom right now. Mm-hmm. And as you do that, you'll start to realize things you both love and don't like that much about it. Or you know what I wish this car did? I wish it did. I don't know the end of that sentence, man. I don't. Sure. But you'll sure. find that. And then you'll start to realize that you love this car, but wouldn't it be cool if I had this experience over here? Or maybe autocrossing makes you go, I'm, I'm throwing out ideas now. Maybe autocrossing makes you go, I love this car, but it's too big. I'd like to autocross more. I need something smaller. Mm-hmm. Maybe the Corvette stays and you buy something tiny. You buy a Suzuki Cappuccino for $5,000, and now you're right-hand driving a Cappuccino that you only use for autocross. I know I'm just pie in the sky here now, but sure. I think the, those two things, autocrossing and road trips, will it'll educate you, and it'll, it'll besiege you to some degree with car experiences you don't currently have. Because what I'm hearing from you, Michael, is you're a guy that uses cars to commute, full stop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's fine. So many of us, this is our car background. We just drive them to get to the places we have to get to for our normal life. And you've just for the first time been driving this car for the heck of it. So drive it more for the heck of it and see what you discover about yourself that may change you on cars. A couple of reasons, Michael, and that is people's tastes change. Yes. Do you like foods now that you didn't like as a kid? I found that to be the case with me as I got mm-hmm. older. I suddenly liked different foods. And I was like, I never liked that taste good to me now. You've, Why does that taste you've good? You've known me long enough that I've had a few things to eat the last five years where I've put it in my mouth and you've been like, wait a minute. My mind is you blown. You just ate that? Because I have essentially always eaten like a 10-year-old. So you know, now well, I'm a little older than 10 and some things have changed. You're eating vegetables. That's what food eats. Occasionally. Like, how yeah. could you do yeah, that? It's then? very weird that I've done that. <laughs> so your taste will change. And if you're open to your taste changing in cars then you haven't solved the car bug because you will mm. always want the, the new, the next. And that's the second point. People always want new. They want sure. what's next, sure. even if it goes backwards. Mm-hmm. Even if it's, mm-hmm. that styling kind of looks like, hmm, name a car from sure. yeah. a while back. And like, I can see some influences from that. And, you know, they kind of tried to modernize it. What we've seen so far of the Nissan Z car, the new, new mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. 
well, they're hearkening back and they're trying to make it new Across to my eye. Board. It looks like 10 years old already, but this is the new thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a spectrum that I'm trying to identify. Maybe you can help me with this, Todd. And that is the people who buy cars as art on one end will say it's the 1962 Ferrari GTO. Sure. They'll never drive it. They'll just, they'll park it in their living room. Mm-hmm. They'll build a house around it <laughs> and it will be their thing. It'll be yes. scrumptious art mm-hmm. and it's beautiful. Yeah. And at the other end, I think, is our cheap sports car challenge. Mm. Hey, look, sports cars that cost a lot new, they're really cheap. They still run. Let's just drive them. Holy cow, we can just drive. We, you don't have to worry a thing. Yeah. A little nick here, a little thing, whatever. The parts are cheap. Parts are still available. What is that spectrum between mm. the two? And then where do you fall? Because if you want anything new in your life, mm. you could say that about food. Hamburger's a hamburger. People will always eat hamburgers, and we're always going to be trying to dress it up to make it the new hamburger. (laughs) Same with cars, Mm -hmm. you know, any kind of category. If you look into the new, the latest, whatever tech will push us further along, Mm -hmm. but it's okay to also like the old because we're always looking for that next driving experience. And that's what car companies are doing to give you the next thing that fits current consumers' lives. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. There's so many 80s cars. Well, every 80s car that doesn't have a giant screen. Look at what tech has done. We're glued to our screens and modern cars have screens. And so that taste, that thing, that culture Mm -hmm. that we all have now didn't exist in 80s cars. Hop into a car from the 80s or 90s with no screens at all and just gauges. Yeah. It is simultaneously jarring and really refreshing. It's so refreshing. And then 90s, it started to creep in. Then 2000s, they got a little bit bigger. And then uh, here we are. Poof, the entire inside of the windshield is a touchscreen or something. (laughs) Just about. Yeah, we're practically doing minority report on the inside of the (laughs) windshield. I mean, it's coming, I'm sure. Go look at the 1998 Ford Taurus and you'll retch. I don't know where the retch button here is on the mixing board to make that sound, but (laughs) you'll get it because you look at that thing and you think, that's what people bought? That was the taste? That Mm. that styling? People liked that? It looked like a dropped pizza. What? (laughs) Yuck. And then look at the crisp lines at what Cadillac did through the 2000s. And wow, arc and line and beautiful. That that looked different to my eye. And I want that. I bought it because I want it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. Corvette looks good to your eye. Will it continue looking good? Mm. It's, of course, eye of the beholder. But that's why all these old cars with just simple, clean surfaces. And they're defined by surface and form. Yeah. The Corvette is not really defined by surface. You just made me think of something else that Michael mentions here. He mentions, I think this is interesting, you don't want to track your car, but you do a lot of simulation racing. Mm-hmm. And you're becoming more of an F1 fan. And this C8 hits you out of clear blue nowhere as, I must have that. Right, right. I think, Michael, the fact that that's happened to you once makes it more likely for it to happen to you again. I think so too. I think somebody's going to drop some design at some point in the future, and you're going to have a very similar response to what you had with the C8. Because of that sentence, I knew I had to have it. Yes. And it was based on sight alone. Yeah, I totally you hear it. You hadn't driven it at that point, yeah. and you just you just knew. There it is. Mm. That's, I have to have it. <laughs> this is what Bring a Trailer is built upon. This yes. is the foundation of any future auction or this is what any all, car buying. All car buying is, for sure. Absolutely, I see it, yes. haven't driven it, hmm. and I know I have to have it. Must have that. This is why the car disease will always continue, and we welcome that, and we welcome manufacturers to continue to bring us awesome sports cars and fun cars to drive that, okay, they're selling stuff over here that meets people's needs. Large screen, lots of space, efficient, Mm -hmm, still mm -hmm. decent looking. They're rugged and they're built well. And 
they plug into the sky and awesome and great. And then where's the sky? Something. I hear you. Yeah. And then over here, we've still got these good sports cars. And if they don't, this is why we will always go back and get all those old cars. Yeah. And we'll still manufacture parts for all those old cars and we'll keep them alive just to spite all the car companies that aren't going to. Which is absurd. It's absurd that that's happening, but it's happening more and more. But Michael, I, I think this is a fascinating topic Tuesday. You said you don't understand car debates and topic Tuesday. It's pretty easy, man. I the think car you debate do. is, you know, which car should you get? The topic Tuesday is what's going on here? We're in what's going on here territory firmly, man. It's really great. I really, really appreciate you writing in with it. If you've got your own topic Tuesday like this or a debate or your car conclusions, write to us everydaydrivertv at gmail.com. And the topic Tuesday is that conversation that can go on endlessly. Mm-hmm. It's two in the morning. Yes. The bar is still not closed yet. And yes. you're going, why? They're about to I, kick you out. Why did yeah. I not go home? It's that kind of conversation. When your car needs new brakes, it's a great time to upgrade for better stopping power. We're excited to partner with Power Stop Brakes for an easy way to get more performance from something you already need. Power Stop is on a mission to deliver better brakes on every vehicle in every situation from daily commuting to towing to track days. These are all bolt-on direct fit parts for better braking, no modifications required. Every Power Stop complete brake kit comes with all the parts you need to upgrade your brakes, including pads, rotors, and even those little clips and fasteners. Plus, all their pads are made from a carbon fiber ceramic compound, which they've tested extensively to deliver low dust and noise-free performance. So the next time you need brakes or you simply want to upgrade, visit PowerStop.com and enter your vehicle's information into their easy-to-use car finder. We even found great kits for our SUVs and our cheap sports cars. Give your everyday driver the easy and affordable performance upgrade it deserves at PowerStop.com. Drew's writing to us. He's a U.S. Navy pilot, and he's writing to us with one of those interesting things that happens when you and the military write to us. And thank you guys for your service and for writing and for listening to the podcast. You end up going overseas, and you take advantage of being in an overseas market (laughs) and the fact that the military will ship a car back for you. Now, Drew and his wife are both in the Navy, and we wind up with two cars in this car debate that I have actually never seen written out in all of the emails we've gotten for this podcast. I knew what they were, but I'm like, no one's ever said, I have this. And you have two of them. (laughs) I know. Well, the car history includes a lineage of your life and really encapsulated. So we'll go very quickly. High school, you had two Jeeps. College, you had a Toyota Tacoma TRD off-road from 1999. And then we got to real life slash flight school. (laughs) That sounds pretty real. I love that's when real life started. Mm -hmm, That is, yes. He had a 1990 BMW 325iS that his now wife absolutely hated. Interesting. Okay. All right. He received orders to go to Japan. Being a gearhead, he was very excited to purchase an old Datsun or a Hilux. Mm. Something fun, funded by selling the BMW and the Tacoma. Okay. While in Japan, he got a 2008 Subaru Impreza wagon, two-wheel drive. He says, please laugh at my foolishness. (laughs) I mean, I'm laughing. All right, all right, all right. No one's ever, in this country, no one's ever said Subaru Impreza Wagon two-wheel drive. And when I first read it, I sorry, I just read it fast, and I was like, what, did somebody disconnect? Oh, that's right. That's right. They sold them in two-wheel drive. Yeah. He purchased it from a coworker, and he expected that all Subies were all-wheel drive, not in Japan. It blew its head gasket on New Year's Day 2018. He said, that was fun. Yeah. He says he didn't speak Japanese, and nothing was open. <laughs> Happy New Year. (laughs) So here come the two cars that he and his wife bought in Japan. He first got a 1988 Japanese spec Rover Mini, Mm -hmm. just under 1,000 cc's. 
He and his wife fell in love. She loves how cute it is. Mm -hmm. He fell for the raw driving feel. Question for you, Drew, is she in the back doing that like rider active thing? Like sort of like (laughs) up on her knees and she'll shift the weight as you go around the corner. Like, honey, left turn coming up. Okay, shifting the weight. (laughs) Rider active is funny. I like that. That's good. You can do that with a mini. Now, even though the 325IS had more power, he says he could push the Mini to its limits on normal roads. Absolutely. Not to mention the Japanese mountain roads. Yeah. He sa- and he says, as James May once said, a car gets fun at the limit of its grip. Mm-hmm. It does indeed. But then they bought another one, 1989 Rover Mini Mayfort Fair 998CCs. He says, luckily, the Navy will ship one car back per the military service member. And his wife is in the Navy, too, as Todd said. So they're keeping both of these for a very long both time. Both minis. They bought old school minis before the BMW refresh of the early 2000s. These are the old school size minis, the tiny ones. Japanese spec. You love them. They're both coming back. Yep. Yep. So they moved to Florida and they purchased a 2019 Toyota Tacoma TRD off-road because he'd had one prior. And a 2017 Fiat 500, they figured those would be the dailies and they would keep the minis for fun weekend cars. Uh, yeah, the Fiat was totaled, so they purchased <clears throat> a 2018 Super Outback. <sighs> I noticed you didn't include the color here. He didn't include so. the color, which means it's probably white. Yeah, that's really what I'm that sure means. I'm sure it does. Yeah, that happened. They're soon going to be moving to Seattle. He says they'll keep the Subarus so they, because they need to fit in. Uh-huh. Either that or a sob. <laughs> oh. He says, in all seriousness, the Minister of Finance really enjoys their Subaru. It is I a safe car. It. Yes. It's point A to point B. There's a reason those things yes. sell as fast as they do, in spite of the fact that America apparently hates wagons. I know. Don't want a wagon. Don't want a wagon. Don't want a wagon. I'd like the Outback. How about it's an Outback? It's a Anyway. The Tacoma's rear-ended, he says, last year. He had to have the frame replaced. Ooh. What? But he's going to sell it because he's starting to get the cheap sports car itch again. Don't you already have two? Well, yeah. Did, he did I... And the minis are still staying. That's the other thing right. about this. The minis stay in this entire equation. Regardless. But here's, but here's where stuff gets weird is because he thinks the Tacoma probably should go. He could sell it in Florida and actually not take much of a loss because there's a lot of market for him down there. Yeah, yeah. But he says, when we move to Seattle, we could do a couple of things. He could sell the Tacoma in Florida before they leave. He could rent a U-Haul with a trailer that will, will haul both minis. Because let's be honest, you could almost pick them up anyway. Okay? Mm-hmm. So he'll haul both minis behind the U-Haul, and his wife will drive the, the Outback, and they'll go to Seattle. Right. Or right. he could keep the Tacoma. Tow a mini behind it. Toy uh, the other mini. Are you really two two minis? The other mini behind the outback, and they could go to Seattle that way. Hmm. I, I think you're going to need the U-Haul. By the way, just just forget cars. Just take cars right out of the equation for a second. Unless the moving van is going ahead of them, you're the moving, moving cross country. Don't you need the U-Haul? I guess. I'm a, I, that's where I'm confused about this. So I don't think you're fitting. You're not fitting a U-Haul's worth of stuff in your Tacoma. My big question for whether you should sell the Tacoma in Florida or Seattle is look at the Seattle market. Yeah, Where true. can you get the most money out of it? Is it true. worth doing it to get the Tacoma something to sell there? Also, do you personally want the hassle of moving to a new town and immediately selling a car that is licensed in another state across country? Well, there is that. That's a great do point. Do you want that? Mm. That's actually the reason. Just hassle factor is the number one reason I think you should sell it where you are because you aren't I just moved into town. Here's the Florida title. 
it's it's all doable. Please don't I'm look looking for the sobs. Where do you guys yeah. keep the sobs? Just drive into the sob place and say, I have a Tacoma. They're like, sob, sob. They're right yeah, over here. That, that, I, think, I think the Tacoma can go, but we still haven't solved the new car problem. What's funny is, is this sentence of irony. Drew mm. is a larger human, he says, six foot four, 230 pounds. He doesn't plan, plan any track days or rally cross at this time, but he's got that itch. He's going to be commuting 30 minutes mm-hmm. to work, 30 minutes. Okay. And yep. would like a manual. And he's ready for this new experience, whatever that is. I like it. For fifteen to twenty thousand dollars, cars on his radar include a one thirty five IS BMW. Cool. Four six right. BMW three thirty I Focus ST, FRS, Porsche nine nine six, Audi RS four, Mazda RX eight. He does love love his German and Japanese cars. But he doesn't need anything crazy, flashy, or loud. He wants a car that only true gearheads will see and think. Ah, you get it. Nice mm-hmm. car. As okay. he strives to experience more cars. Mm. Cars to avoid include anything with American and muscle. It doesn't give him that driver <laughs> okay. feeling. All right. All right. He says the new Mini. Nope. That's out too because he's got two originals. He does have the original. Okay. That's a fair point. All right. Todd already told you to sell the Tacoma in Florida. I think you should. But what cars should we suggest that you buy next. He says, who knows? I might just keep scrolling through, bring a trailer. Not with 15 to 20 grand. You won't. Yeah, not You'll <laughs> just be scrolling. You're just going to scroll. Nothing, nothing's happening. Otherwise, unless you buy something you never expected. And then they're not sure what to do with it. Yeah. By the way, you mentioned your 30 minute commute that you'll have in Seattle cars that are water resistant or waterproof. Yes. Yet. So I, I'm not going to say get an old MG with a flappy roof and yeah, it's a great experience. And All you're going to hate me and yes. write to me. Vitriol <laughs> for sure. But I do say yes to different cars, but think about your car approach as different platforms and architecture. Mm, Let that mm. drive your choices. I like that. Drew, you're talking about your own cheap sports car challenge is what you're doing. Yeah, true. And you've actually doubled the budget that we've got. Mm-hmm. BMW Z3s and Z4s, nice ones. Nice Boxsters, nice Caymans, nice MR2s, really good Honda S2000s. Those are all pretty water resistant for the most part yeah be sure the top has been replaced because those s2000 early tops are bad but then i thought uh what do navy pilots drive when they're on the ground okay because navy pilots are adrenaline junkies to some degree yes we know I, this, a yes. former navy pilot we, yeah we know a few he flew the harrier he's done the carrier thing. He owned a little home built airplane and would fly down a Canyon and dip his tires in the river. <laughs> Cause what's what you do. I just want you to with yeah. the kids in the cockpit, yeah, just flying yeah. along. Yeah. We're, we're doing fine. He would he would send us video of this. And the funny thing was the horizon was never level. You could see, cause you could see them enjoying this. He wouldn't, it wouldn't be a video out the, the cabin. It would be a, a video that he would also share with other fa- friends yeah. and family to show him enjoying time in the plane with his kids and his wife. And the kids are giggling. But you can and, see yeah. because of the way the GoPro is mounted looking past them, you can see the horizon and the earth out the rear windows. Oh yeah. And the horizon was never level. Yeah. He's just dipping his tundra tires in the river. Like, let's go have fun, kids. Now he sold that and moved on from that <clears throat> other slightly crazy dangerous yeah. activity. But pilots, you, I mean, if you're not riding motorcycles, what do you do on like a Hellcat swap Tesla or something? Like, what what do you do? What do you guys do? <laughs> Somebody back us for that build, please. Sorry, set, side note. Come Going on. on. Yeah. So I thought of two. I'm going to okay. blow your budget entirely. Oh, of but course these you are. are. Cool cars. They are what Navy pilots would drive, and they're two cars that all of us gearheads go. Yeah, nice car. Well okay. done. Great. What? They are the first generation Acura NSX. 
Oh, yeah. And the Alfa Romeo 4C. You've more than doubled his budget. I've more than doubled your budget. Otherwise, go yeah. back to the Cheap Sports Car Challenge and mm-hmm. experience a bunch of them and sure. spend half your budget and rock it through a bunch of them sure, in a short sure, time yeah. period, and you'll still have your minis as that benchmark driving experience. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. otherwise, if you're going to be thrown down and like, oh, <laughs> he must be a pilot. He's rolling in. Acura NSX. Mm. Sweet. Because it's still kind of old school. It's still going to be reliable. It's going to be waterproof. And you still got those minis. And it's a different driving experience. And both of these are mid-engine, giving you that different mm-hmm. platform than you've ever experienced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are my two. So you could go half the budget, or I'm going to blow it entirely. Look at you. You did not go where I expected, but I, I, I'm i intrigued. You were expecting Hellcat Swap Teslas? No, I, I wasn't. But, uh, but anyway. Hellcat Swap Prius? Prius? <laughs> True. I want to go through a couple that you've mentioned already. You said uh, the BMW 135iS, that is excellent. That is almost a 1M. It's like the little brother to the M3 of that era. That's a really good car. Are That's very we putting a Hellcat in that? No, we're not. We'll, oh. we'll, just, we'll leave it with a straight six. Okay. Fine, I promise. Right. Uh, you said the E46 330i. I think that's interesting. Except you didn't mention, and I'm going to say instead, if you're going to go that route, get the ZHP pack. Yes, that good. is the closest that BMW's three series of the. This is the early two thousands. Okay, that's the closest that generation three series BMW got to having a four door M three, mm-hmm. and they aren't worth that much because they're not the M three, and that is an older car now. But that is a really one of the best eras for BMW. Period. Yeah. That's when yeah. they were at their best. Okay, early two thousands. Get it with the ZHP. I think you would really like that E forty six ZHP. Um, Ford Focus ST or any of the other front-wheel drive hatches I can think of, I think, are all out because you have a Mini. Everything short of possibly a Fiesta ST is going to feel like, why did this get so big? When you, drive, when you drive a front-wheel drive hot hatch. Yeah. The, the Fiesta, it has enough of a, a raucous character that I think it might feel similar, but even it doesn't quite get there. So I think all front-wheel drive hatchbacks are just out for you. You brought up the Scion FRS, the 86. Yes, I think you'd enjoy that. It, it's Japanese. I think you'd enjoy it. You can get it for your budget. That would be an easy car to commute, and it would feel modern enough. I think that mm-hmm. is a great choice for you. I like it. The 996 Porsche 911, nothing wrong there, but I'm worried about the one that you get for fifteen grand right now in this current market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I sure. don't think it's, I think it's kind of neat stuff, even a $20,000 one. And the problem is yeah. there's probably other generations of the 911 you would like more than the 996. And all of those are way out of your budget right now. The Audi RS4 is interesting, but I think you're going to find that it understeers too much. I think coming from a front-wheel drive car that turns really well, you're going to get into the RS4 and be like, this should turn better. <laughs> I just I think you are. Will. I think you are. Yeah. Mazda RX-8 is interesting. You have not mentioned your tolerance for maintenance because that car oh, will require right. some. Yes. So let me run through a couple others real quick. Um if you really want to go Porsche, just look at Cayman Boxster. I already mentioned the E46 CHP. Here's a wild card for you. MR2 Spider. That's good. Yeah. Well within your budget. You might spend half your budget. Toyota, it's going to run. It's convertible if you want to use it. Get one that actually has a top that seals because, you know, Paul said there's a little bit of rain in Seattle. Uh, so I mean, when that. it's not raining, it's great. That 30-minute commute will be great. Yes, for sure. When it's misting and pouring and the seals don't work and they're kind of rotted. Yeah, that's, that's bad news. Like you it. can also get retract. I mean, pardon me. You can also get removable hard tops for that car, too. So yeah, look into true. the MR2 Spider. I think that's interesting. And then I have a wild card for you. Oh. Because I think you can – I know you can get it for your budget. I can – I have known Navy pilots that drive them and love them. Oh. And I think it's a totally new experience for you. 
You've said no American muscle at all. Yeah. You've said you're a big guy. I'm going to blur the line a second. You need a Cor- <laughs> Like I blur budgets? Yeah. You need a Corvette. I was wondering you about that, but it's American Corvettes. muscle, kind of. It kind of is. Kind of. It's, it's, it's the middle ground between the, the dynamics that he likes that's not an American muscle car and an American muscle car. It has the big V8, but it doesn't have those traditional muscle car dynamics. It, it doesn't, yeah. It's... So what, what Corvette could you get? Could you get a oh, C6? I know. Could you get a C4 ZR1 that's, that's and it. just yeah. blow everyone's mind, ZR1. including your own? Yes. So that's my wild card, and I think you should seriously consider it. Get, look at the C4. Watch our American original film. Watch how much we were surprised when they brought out the C4 ZR1, and we were, what is this car now? And we drove it and went, oh, mm-hmm. didn't expect that. Yeah. So you could get yeah. one of those for your budget, and I'm telling you, that would be the new experience you might want. You've heard us talk about drive homework because it's vital to drive a lot of things when you're trying to find your next car. Knowing your options is incredibly important. And this applies to online shopping too. You don't want to search just one website unless that site is searching all the other ones for you. That's why we love Auto Tempest. We know you've heard us talk about it before and we hope you've already seen how far you can shop with just one search. Auto Tempest pulls from all the top used car sites at once so you know you won't miss that ideal car. Autotempest.com. All the cars one search. Michael W. writes to us. He says, other than in the rain, is it ever okay to drive with a convertible top closed? Mm. I say yes. When it's searing hot, yeah, use the air conditioner. It's yes. great. The convertibles come alive at golden hour. That's yes, what they're designed yes, for. They do. Morning runs when the sun's come out up is great, but golden hour, it's just right. The sun's just down mm-hmm. and top goes down. If you don't have the top down at golden hour or in the morning, that's when I will throw things at you. (laughs) Well, I actually agree with you because if you've ever driven a convertible anywhere in the middle of the day when it's hot, you want the top closed. Yeah, for sure. It's brutal. Yeah. But there are those perfect times when it's wonderful. And this is the joke I've mentioned before. There's a surprisingly large percentage of people in the United Kingdom that buy convertibles. Now think I'm about what still you know. shocked by this. Think about what you know about, <laughs> and they and they are the origin of the classic sports car convertible too. I know, okay, I know. think about what you know about the you know the, just some things you might have heard about the weather in England. <laughs> but when the weather's right, nothing beats convertible. But I will admit the weather has to be correct. Really has to be yes, right. Yes, yes. Rusty Buckskin says he really liked art. <laughs> sorry, that. Sorry, I try to do that avatar. He couldn't and just do, do it. The straight face. He couldn't, couldn't do, it. do it. Anyway, Rusty wrote in. He said uh, he loved the teaching stick shift episode. We actually really liked making it. Many of you have responded nicely to that. Thank you. When we t- taught to brand new drivers how to drive stick shift, he said, "Any chance we'll do a follow up with more advanced techniques like how to heel toe and those kind of things?" Rusty, I've considered this. I think it'd be very cool to do a part two that is beyond teaching stick stick shift and more into like refining stick shift driving mm, and driving sure. manual and, and like tricks and tips and that kind of thing. The problem I have, and honestly, this is my struggle is just, would it be watched enough for us to take the time? Sure. We've enjoyed sure. it with these cheap sports cars. It was, it was something we could do with the cheap sports cars that we didn't really want to do with anything else. And it was perfect for that. That piece has been really interesting. I think out of all the pieces we've ever posted, I think that one might be the one that is the most split as far as, overwhelmingly positive response to that piece and really low viewership. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a struggle for me because I really like that piece. And you guys that have watched it have loved it. So thank you for that. We'll keep considering it. 
Jim N. says it seems like at least once every couple of months, he's got to readjust the seating position and steering wheel combination. Mm. Is this something that we deal with as well, or have our seats and steering wheels been locked into position once you find what works for you? I think, you know, you're talking a little bit beyond just this, the memory settings or just, yeah, yeah. you know, here's my car. I think it really kind of depends on what the driving is that you're doing. And over time, I found that a little bit less comfortable position for me i'm a little bit closer to the steering wheel i'm a little sit, sitting a little bit more upright i'm not quite so lean back and relaxed, relaxed. Yeah. even on road trips it's now kind of the new normal for me it's the new mm-hmm. position that i'm used to because then when i do go down track then my seat get you know goes forward even one more notch mm-hmm. and i just i feel like i'm on top of the car and controlling the car very mm-hmm. well whereas you know i think get in and i'm slouched back and my driving attention, my inputs into my driving, they're slipping. Interesting. I, I pay less attention to things. I'm mm. more comfortable. I'm relaxed. I do the 12 o'clock offender thing. I start to, or the six o'clock, you know, when you're just resting your hand and you lean back and it's comfortable and the air conditioning and the music and the snacks and the, my wife know. has a new thing as a driver oh, no. that I've just discovered in the last two weeks. Good or bad. And I, I'm here's the thing. I, this is the first time I'm admitting this. Having said it to her, no, I am, I am so shocked by it that I haven't even had words for it yet. Okay, I apparently need to not ask her to take me anywhere early in the morning. Okay, because I had her take me somewhere and drop me off. Right. right? So she did the okay. I just got up. We're gonna just run this errand real quick. Open normal coffee cup in one hand. And one hand driving on the top of the wheel on the Cayenne with the coffee cup full and open next to my face because she's got her hand on the uh, on the center console. I'm like, there's so much I don't like right now. And if it wasn't even like if it wasn't like seven thirty in the morning, I'd start something. But it's early, <laughs> so and you haven't had coffee yet either. So I got to be careful. But right. what and happened there? Hot coffee be, could yes, be coming at you. Absolutely. Yikes. Hmm. Anyway, sorry. Side note, I mean, but it's well, been on my yeah, brain. Yeah. And I'm also not saying that we have to be fully focused, you know, it's, no, you know, 11 no, a.m., no, no. everybody's awake, you're on it, you know, you're fully engaged and, and racetrack mode at all times during your driving. It's not what I'm saying. It's just this sort of more engaged kind of driving experience, two hands on the wheel. I'm just looking around, mirrors are set. Yeah. I'm just really purposeful in my driving. And I feel like that's really helped me as a driver and improve driving skills over time. It certainly does on the track. I think also these occasional resets, I think that's just your body getting bored of one position. Could it be. happens to me like Could crazy be. on road trips. I, I Sometimes like that you have to mid-afternoon, should. I'm like, why on earth am I, I got to do it again? I got to adjust. But then there's some cars like my Lotus. It's just like there is one position in the Lotus that works and there's nothing else you can adjust. Right. But the cars is that the in, Lotus position? It's not actually, but nicely oh. done. There's there's cars with infinite adjustment. I feel like I'm always over there going. Where's the comfort? Anyway. Sciatica. Speaking of Lotus's Cutler Collins says, over the weekend, he saw a Lotus Evora GT. Mm. Not only the first Evora GT he's seen, but his first Evora he's ever seen in person. Wow. And he said, I, it took my breath away. Mm. It's become his dream car. And so his question is, are all Evoras worth considering, or is it just the GTs? He's like, what, what's the story here? Uh, Colin, here's the thing. These cars are really massively underappreciated. Mm-hmm. The Evora is a car that, for whatever reason, when it came out in 2009, 2010, I just don't think it, it captured people like it should have or like it deserved to. 
Okay. And what I've, what I've watched over time is, we didn't drive it initially. What I've watched over time is, as people have driven them, they've all gone, and I'm talking car journalists now, they've all gone, the Afora is really great. It's like that car we all discovered late. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Now, the early ones have weird little Lotus foibles. They have, uh, now, here's, here's something I've heard, for, for example, the very early ones. If you would like a clutch replacement, it's quite expensive. <laughs> like, plan for like seven plus thousand dollars for your clutch because of access. But on the flip side, I've heard of people that have gone 100, 120,000 miles on their original clutch. So there's that. So, and it's not a Lamborghini, you know, so there's that. There, there's that as well. The service. So, minerals. As you, they, the thing that's interesting about the Avora, and we actually have a piece coming up on the Avora, is that that is a car that Lotus has wonderfully refined over its lifetime. And so the newer ones you can get, the better they are. But do not underestimate the driving fun and the driving quality of even the early ones. That's happened before to Lotus. The mm-hmm. early Esprit comes out, Turbo 4, James Bond. Yeah, it's cool, wedgie doorstop. And then by the time 2003 rolls around... Twin turbo V8. What's happening with here? aggressive everything? What now? What is this again? It happened again. Sharif S agrees that it's important to buy manuals, mm-hmm. but he says that won't save the manuals. He's putting responsibility squarely on us as automotive journalists. Mm-hmm. Wow. He's saying it's our fault. I mean, uh, our, wow. our, our thing to fix. He says, let me explain. As long as manuals are regarded by car enthusiasts and auto journalists as cool, then manufacturers will keep making them to bolster their image. Let's hope so. So he really thinks that it's about getting good press and glowing reviews from making manuals from the people creating the press releases or creating the videos, which is us. Mm -hmm. You did say car enthusiast in here, Sharif. You did say car enthusiasts have to regard them as cool, but how, how do they get that feedback? Mm -hmm. I still think a big part of it is a business case. Yeah. Uh, maybe not big. Maybe, maybe well, but, not. But I, the business case is entirely the reason Ferrari stopped making them. It was business yeah. case full stop. 2%. 2% of their buyers were buying a manual. And they were just like, that makes no sense financially for us to continue offering a manual. Now, those yeah. of us that have driven and liked the gated Ferrari shifter, some magic was lost there. I've said this before. Yeah. BMW in the early 2000s had steering feel that was their magic, and that's kind of gone away. Yeah. Ferrari in the early 2000s had their gated shifter, and that was their magic that's kind of gone away. And it doesn't mean their cars aren't good without those things, but that was their little special extra thing that those brands had, and they left. But it left because nobody bought them and we can talk about them being cool but let's be honest we also talk about how sports cars are cool but what all the manufacturers are going to make is a new five-seat suv because that's what's going to sell volume but have you noticed sharif no car manufacturer is selling any sports car or enthusiast car predicated on engagement Mm. because we have safety systems all around us Mm. to prevent engagement let's let the car do it yeah interesting point so no manufacturer is saying you know what we've got your manual 
so you'll be more involved with the driving experience. Doesn't matter how fast you go. Doesn't matter if it's better or worse for track. Who cares? You're going to be more engaged. No, here's another safety feature piled on top of the other mm. jillion safety features that we've got to make some little thing a little bit better. The tweaking of the lane assist. It makes for a good list of safety features. So the point that you know how you have asterisks and then double asterisks to, to the point you're getting into the X's and the crosses and the yeah. extra double stars and the like 45 <laughs> like, different icons are being used. There's so many little asterisks at the bottom of the page. Seriously, it's crazy. Before. Yeah. So therefore, I I think it's still somewhat of a business case. The people that buy them will show car manufacturers, and it's it's part of their DNA, like Mazda, showing you okay sports cars, and they can indeed be bought with a manual. But just for the cool factor, we've got to get manufacturers doing it for engagement, for driving, being your heads in the game, you're being purposeful, you're you're driving, you're not just guiding the car around on the planet, just steering and. <laughs> Oops, I bumped into somebody. Whatever. The safety system should have taken care of that. The car, the car turned me away. It's going to be fine. Jeremy on Twitter asks, how many more cheap sports car challenge videos are coming? He said he's watched all six, really enjoyed them once more. There is more coming, Jeremy. Right now we're on a bit of a pause because we've been desperate to finish up season nine. We actually have one in the can that is going to be very fun. It's our performance testing piece. It's going to be a very fun piece that will come out sometime probably late July or so. Then we have, and I can't really tell you what it is yet, we have uh, three or four more coming Mm -hmm. that we had an idea in the midst of doing this Cheap Sports Car Challenge that we're executing now behind the scenes so we can do a a large piece with them that wasn't originally planned, but I'm now very excited. But that's coming again after TV. So expect... Lots of stuff in late July through August and into September before we actually, yes, we are doing it. We're going to give these cars away via a sweepstakes. Alex HC09 says, is there a car or car brand you forget exists until you see it? You saw a Mitsubishi Eclipse cross last week and he says, I realize Mitsubishi is still in the U.S. Yeah, that does kind of <laughs> oh. happen. I, I, that does kind of happen. I Mitsubishi is definitely one of them, but, uh, you know, we talk about cars so much and we're, you know, always getting press cars and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's more about the particular models. I'll give you one. And that is the passport. Yeah. I'm thinking now what's the midsize Honda. There's the CRV. There's the pilot. What's that midsize thing that they passport. Yeah. Forgot that thing existed. (laughs) Then you see one. Mystic Negro gives us a fantastic Track Daily Crush. This is like the Park City edition. You see, this is not even really cars related. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. He said Track Daily cu- Crush, a car or cars, mm. mountain bikes or skis. The three favorite things that I love. Yes, for sure, for sure. I am going to I'm going to track the car. Yeah. I'm going to daily the mountain bike and I'm going to crush the skis. It's hard to say because I I also could flop the car and the mountain bike. I could just run a track yeah. every day on the mountain bike and happily daily the car. But I think of those three, the skis lose, which is crazy to say because the skiing here is awesome and I do enjoy it. But that's, I think, where I land. I think I'm with you. I hate to uh, – darn it. Petrolhead2003 asks, what makes a great driving road? Roads that don't have outbacks. Roads that don't have RVs. Yeah. I, mm, things that are twisty based on the topography of beautiful yes, landscapes. Absolutely. Those are the ones that we love. There's all kinds of them, East coast, West coast. There's all those great driving roads, but things that have a good mix. And I'll say a good mix of technical where you're doing some low speed and kind of, mm-hmm. you know, in and out and you're really paying attention to a, a, a closer sight line. And then part of that road gets really sweepy and long and mm. your sight lines go up and your eyes go up. Yeah, and you're looking yeah, yeah. way up the road. 
Now your speed is increasing with that, <laughs> which I embrace. But still, there's that nice mix of mm-hmm. different things, and it really shows you the car you're driving, what it's better at. That's true. That's, That's what makes a great driving road. Matt Greer, 82, says um, he's got a track daily crush. He's calling it the Frankenstein Monster Edition. He's saying, if these cars existed and really worked, track daily crush. A Cayman 987.2, that is a late 2000s Porsche Cayman with a voodoo engine. So big V8. The Alpha 4C, what does it not have a manual transmission? Let's give it the S2000 manual transmission, one of the best ones ever. That's good, that's good. Or a C2 Corvette. That is the great second generation Corvette, but resto mod. So it has the running gear of a C7 Corvette Mm. with the Z51. Track Daily mm. Crush. Arr. This is very cool, but here's what I'm going to go with. I'm going to say the Alpha 4C with a manual would be fascinating to drive. A really good manual in that car would be fascinating. I'm going to say the Alpha 4C is now my track car with a manual. Huh. The Corvette C2 Resto Mod is my daily because that car needs to be driven every chance you can get it out of the garage. And that means by default, Dang it. I am crushing the V8 Cayman. Oh, man. I'm tracking the V8 Cayman. I am crushing that 4C because the <laughs> dynamics didn't change. It still understeers like crazy. I don't care what kind of transmission you put in. It still understeers, and you got to fix that, too. So if it's going to be a manual, <laughs> you got to fix the front suspension, and I'll daily that C2 Resto Mod. We've had a couple of you ask about future meetups, and they're always in discussion, just so you guys know. And we've actually specifically had one from... Uh, Jeremy, who actually asked, um, no, it's not Jeremy, sorry. Danny asked on Twitter, he said, is there any chance of us coming to Memphis for a, for a meetup? I don't know Memphis specifically, but we are in discussion for something totally separate of coming to the southeastern part of the U.S. to do some driving roads for a shoot. That's it, This is really loose right now, but that's probably the closest we get is the southeast area coming back to kind of the Atlanta area. I would also like to go to the northeast. There's been requests for that. We'd like to go up there. We don't have a, a purpose for it right now, but I do hear you. I see you calling. Chicago was the closest we ever got to the northeast. I'd like to go back there and do one there as well. Brief reminder, also coming, July is going to be big for us. Mm-hmm. Not only are we on season nine, yeah. but we're going to open up the sweepstakes for the two cheap sports cars, even though we're still shooting with them. Crazy. We have crazy. some big shoots doing on, going behind the scenes that will release in August with that car. <laughs> and also we're going to open up what I'm now starting to call the Utah Pilgrimage. Because like that. our meetup yeah. in Utah this year is going to, to almost replace the style and feel of our pilgrimage. So it's going to be kind of an all-in-one trip thing. I'm very excited about it. That is being built behind the scenes thanks to Mandy. We're going to get that up on its feet and actually open registration in July. So that will be the next major meetup event, and that will be very cool. Last question for me from Cooper N. on Twitter. When in the buying process timeline do you mention that you want a pre-purchase inspection? You always mention it early. As yeah. part of, this is just how I operate pre-purchase. Yeah, yeah. You're just talking along. Hey, I'm pretty cool. You know, pretty interested in your car, and that looks pretty good. Pre-purchase inspection, and then I want to go over here and talk about the interior yeah. and what's the interior like. Pre-purchase inspection, <laughs> and then you know, talk to me about your pre-purchase inspection. You know, who do you have near you? Who could do this for us? You know, pre-purchase inspection before I actually get serious about offering you dime number one. Yeah, always early. Guys, thank you so much for all your questions. We've yeah, got for sure. many cool things coming at you, and we're wrapping up Season 9. Can't wait to share. Looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone.